Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate, the Mindset Go Radio Show. Uh, thrilled to be back here and see my good buddy Ted. And, uh, you know, today we're going to talk about a topic that uh, I'm super excited about. And we have, as, as Ted referred to, a ringer here to discuss that topic, who I will introduce, Thank God. Who I will introduce momentarily. But I, I just want to start out by saying, you know, we're talking about storytelling. And I always laugh when I hear the word, because over the last several years, I, I've I've had conversations with people about the word storytelling and the perception of the word storytelling actually has a lot of negative perceptions, which is interesting, right? So one of the negative perceptions is the length and being in the fact that we live in an era where no one has an attention span anymore and no one wants to take the time to do anything. Boy, if you're about to listen to a long story, that would be really unappealing. So first of all, Let's just get some of these misconceptions out of the way. Storytelling doesn't mean long and boring. It doesn't mean sitting on your grandfather's knee and hearing about World War II or him walking to school both ways in the snow up a hill. Second thing it doesn't mean is, you know, we hear it a lot with kids. Parents often tell kids, stop telling stories, right? It's a lie. Like it's associated with lies. Often um, it's a negative association with that. And today... Um, we're going to talk about the multiple benefits of how stories can really change your life personally and professionally. And my guest today is uh, Rob Matson, the CEO of ITM Speakers, who is going to start doing some training and coaching as a ringer for Mindset Go. And um, so, Rob, first of all, thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's fantastic to be here with you and Ted. Ted's the man. He is the man. So, Rob, you know, I want to start out by asking you, you know, I, I talked about how people have some negative perceptions of storytelling. What is it that people don't get? And I don't mean they dislike it. What is it that they don't get? Like, this is an amazing tool that can be used so many different. Why don't they get it for the people who don't get it? It's mostly their experience. And we're all this. We're all the product of our experiences. And the trouble is that a lot of people will tell stories, and you'll hear people tell you themselves, I'm a great storyteller. Never believe anyone who tells you they're a great storyteller. Make them show you they're great, not, that's awesome. not tell oh, you they're that's good. That's awesome, Rob. I love it. And it's a situation where storytelling is both an art and a science. There's a lot of science behind storytelling. And the thing is, when you meet a great storyteller, they might not know the art or the science, but they just do it naturally. But a lot of people can actually be taught to tell stories better. And it's once you get a great storyteller in front of you, and you know where it is. You've been there. You've seen him, someone up on a stage, whether it's a comedian or uh, an improv artist, someone who really knows how to tell a story, and you know they're good. But then you get caught at a, at a party back when we had you know, parties when we talked to people. Uh, and it was a situation where you got stuck there. <laughs> That's and uh, you, you were that bad storyteller. So it's really the, the good storytellers know how to use the tool. Okay, so... You know, the, the thing is that, Rob, no, not nobody, but very rarely in corporate America is a CEO, a sales executive, someone in management sitting in their office go, man, you know why our revenue's down? We're not telling enough stories. <laughs> We're not telling good stories. And it's such a narrow-minded way to look at storytelling, but 
if, if, if I'm a CEO looking at you right now and I'm saying, Rob, I, I got to grow my bottom line. I, I got to get my leaders to communicate better. I got to get my customer service team to have stronger relationships with clients. Where the heck does storytelling fit into that? What are you telling them? Uh, the answer is everywhere. And the challenge is, is that storytelling is just like any other tool. If you ask me, Mark, and we've actually worked on a project in the past, and if I ask you for a screwdriver, the first question you're going to ask me is, what kind? How long? Is it a Phillips head? Is it a flathead? Is it a Torx? What is it? And stories are the same way. The trouble with a lot of people is they say, we have to get our story down. You don't have just one story. What you want to do is you want to change your mindset from inside out to outside in. Many of us suffer from the curse of knowledge. We know so much about our stuff. We want to share it, and we want to tell our story. But instead, why don't we start thinking about the person that's listening and how you're trying to change their thinking? I often tell people in the classes I teach about the Robin Hood story where he splits the arrow. The drama is at the target, not at Robin Hood. And that's the same way. You have to think about your target, and then you have to pick the right arrow, in this case, the right story, that's going to change their thinking. And there are many different types of stories that you can use. Okay, so I want to build on that, Rob, and I want to talk about this concept for a second. So for our audience listening today, think about if you're in sales, think about if you're in marketing, um, think about your leadership style, okay? And here's what Rob and I know to be true. We know that you have a job to be compelling and memorable, right? So let's just start right there. If you don't understand the value of storytelling, let me say this to you. There is a reason why the pay scale for motivational speakers is off the chart because they tell stories. They tell great stories. People like to listen to stories. Why? Because when you tell a story, it gives you the opportunity to relate and resonate to another human being. But let's go back to compelling and memorable. Your job, let's just take sales and marketing, Rob. Your job in sales and marketing is to be different, compelling, memorable. Is that not the best tool in your arsenal to do so? Absolutely. And there's science behind it. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of great books on it. And uh, one great fact is that if I give you a fact, if I give you a number, so I'm going to give you the number 7%, three days from now, you have a 5% chance of remembering that number. But if I tell you a story about Sherlock Holmes in a 7% solution, which is a famous part of the Sherlock Holmes story, the story will lock it in your brain. It'll affect different parts of your mind, not mm. just the neocortex. That's the analytical part of your brain, but down in the limbic system, which is emotional and memory, and the amygdala, which is kind of the flight, the fight or flight. Okay, now wait a second. Before you continue, Rob, Ted, I just want to bring something to your attention. You yes, know, sir. I bring yes. Joe Lyman on the show. He's an incredibly yeah. bright guy. Yes, now he I is. Now I bring this guy. I mean, another guy that's yeah, smarter than I, me. He's talking... Yeah. Amygdala neocortex. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Well, I want you to remember something. Life is just like junior high school. You get judged based on the people you hang with. And that's why I love Rob. He brings the best out of me. Okay, continue. I just had a joke about that, Rob. Go ahead, Absolutely, no problem. So if I tell you that type of story, in three days you have a 70% chance of remembering it. And think about this. If you're a sales or marketing person and you get an hour with a prospect – You've worked really hard to get that hour. You've done marketing. You've done sales calls. You've, uh, in the old days, we would travel. Now we're setting up Zoom, and we're doing a lot of work. We're spending thousands of dollars to get one hour. You don't want to win that hour. You want to win the five minutes after that call is done. 
because you have to make sure that they get the message you're trying to tell them, you're changing their thinking, and they remember it. And I come from the enterprise software space historically, and on average, if someone makes a big a buying decision, 6.7 people chime in on that decision. And 6.7 people aren't in the room at that meeting. You have to make sure the people in that room remember your story and know it well enough to pass it along. In fact, you want them to pass along your story, not your competitors. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, it's a great point, Rob. And, you know, you think about, um, I often talk about when I do networking training with companies, that if you and I meet at a networking event and uh, you go home to your girlfriend after the networking event and your girlfriend's like, how was the networking event? You're like, it was great. She says, did you meet anybody good? And you're like, yes. And then so the next question is, yes, I, I met Mark Altman. And so then she says, well, what was so great about Mark Altman? Well, then I always say, if, you, if I could tailor make your answer at that point, Absolutely. right? Like, yeah. what do I want Rob to tell his girlfriend in that moment? And that's what you're talking about. Like, it's the five minutes after what stuck, what was memorable, what made you stand out as a financial advisor, as an electrician, as a wealth manager. Like, I don't care what you do, but what is Rob going to tell his girlfriend? I want to tell you what we don't want Rob to tell his girlfriend Mark was a nice guy because we don't really care if Mark was a nice guy. We want Rob to tell his girlfriend, man, that's a guy I would do business with. That's a guy I would trust with my clients. Those are the things we want him to say, right? Absolutely. And there's actually, it's the dichotomy of storytelling. There are two reasons to tell a story. And if you know, um, Willie Lohan, uh, yes, Willie Lohan was all about being liked. There we go. Sometimes you just have to give the mic a whack in the side. You do. Mike's need that. All right. So back. So Willie Loman, death of a salesman. Yes. Willie Loman. It's uh, he wanted to be friends with everybody. It wasn't about his his skills or his ability. And Willie would tell stories, and that's great because part of storytelling is you're actually hijacking the biochemistry of the mind, and you are creating chemical changes because when people hear stories, you get the same uh, chemical changes in your body that friendship brings and connection and empathy and attention, all of those, you know, the dopamines and all those things happen. Oxytocin, dopamine, wonderful things. So that's one reason. But if you just stop there and you just tell stories to connect, you're missing an opportunity. Because if you tell stories to teach and to change thinking, then you get the benefit of that connection. I'm keeping your attention. I'm, I'm making you like me. And I am teaching you something in a way that is going to activate all of those memory enablers. Well, Rob, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's great stuff. And so, Rob, we're, we're going to go to our first break, but I want you to be thinking about something we're going to discuss right when we come back. One of the most commonly used uh, stories is an elevator pitch. And I have very specific opinions on an elevator pitch, which I will share with you after the break, and I'm dying to hear your insight on this. Fair so enough. for Rob Matson, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. All right, guys, here we go. Now, I communicate Your mics are live. on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. I'm here with uh, Rob Matson, president of ITM Speakers and uh, trainer and coach for Mindset Go. 
So, Rob, I mentioned I teased our audience about elevator pitches before the break, and I have railed on this show in the past of how antiquated elevator pitches are. And just to give a brief explanation to our audience, if you're a new listener, my thought process is in sales, if you're selling features and benefits, okay, if the person you're selling to, if you're not clear on what would be interesting to them relating to those features and benefits, then why just vomit them out if you haven't really understood the interest level? Elevator pitches to me are canned responses. So when someone says, tell me about yourself or what do you do? You have this prepared, oh, well, Mindset Go does this and we help people do this and whatever. The problem is if that person doesn't care about your answer, you're already behind the eight ball and you've lost their interest and you are no longer memorable or compelling. <laughs> so here's the deal, Rob. This is what I teach people to do differently, and I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. Do you agree? Would you do it differently? You know, whatever. What I say is, if someone says to you, what do you do or tell me about yourself, I would say, if, if it's mindset go, I would say, well, let me ask you a question. At your company, do you ever experience that your salespeople ever get in slumps or are inconsistent? Does your leadership team ever struggle to communicate or motivate behavior change? Does your company at all struggle to adapt to change? Do you experience any of those three things? And then if the person tells me which one of those they experience, then I tell a story. Then I'll say, oh, well, let me tell you about an experience I just had with another company who also struggled with change management. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that's what I teach instead of the elevator pitch, to ask a question, to understand what's relevant, to know what story to tell. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? It's interesting. And it all... Uh, you're right on the money on so many things in, in your statement, Mark, and because it's about knowing your audience. If you don't know your audience and know how you're trying to change your thinking, you don't know which story to pick. Uh, the only time I would say you have to use an elevator pitch is if you're on a huge stage and it's part of your, you're pitching everyone in a huge stage. You can't do it. If you're in any kind of one-on-one -on -one uh, situation, it's a situation where you want to avoid what I call the bad first date. And, and you and I, Mark, we, we, we we're, each other we're experts on that. We've had the bad first date. We're dates, experts on that. Where in the bad first date, the definition of that is where at the end of the date, the, you know everything about them and they know your name. It's That's the curse of knowledge. It's just vomiting out information versus trying to gather information. In, uh, in sales, it's usually called the discovery call, where you're trying to get that information before you are formulating your plan on what you're going to tell them. So going out and blindly vomiting an elevator pitch without understanding what the people are looking for, you're right. Your chances are one in N for that to hit the right target. Well, so Rob, you said something there that I think is huge that I want you to expound on. Sure. So you talked about knowing your audience. And to the layman person, I think what that means is if you're presenting to a group are they executives? What are they, what's their knowledge level? What do they know? There's like some cursory generic things people, yeah. but what are you, go deeper than that. What are you really saying when you say know your audience? So my history, uh, before I started my company, I was a VP of marketing for a software company. Okay. And we talked a lot about defining your personas. It's, you know, Ralph DeBartlow. Ralph is the you know, head of sales at a, at a small multinational, that, that type of thing. Versus saying, okay, let's look at this company that we're going after. Let's read their annual report. Let's look at their blog posts. Let's see what they have in the news. Let's understand their business. And let's understand what they're trying to accomplish. Because if their CEO is saying, you know, what we have to do this year is all about build, is selling into our customer base. Okay, I know more about it. 
So it's understanding that level. And if it's about growing their customer base, Mark, you used an example. I'm going to tell them a client story, which is a proof point, which, uh, which we refer to at ITM as a persuasion story because you're trying to prove a point to them versus maybe a metaphorical story because you're trying to teach them something. So it's one of those situations where you have to understand where they're coming from, get the detail enough where you can find what is going to be intriguing to them. Because a great story, if you don't care about it, is not a great story. If you and I both watch the same movie, you don't care, you don't like the topic and I love it, it's the same movie. But because it, it resonates with me, it becomes a great movie. For you, it's not. Well, so Rob, so it, you're talking about in sales. So one of the things that I, I have, everybody knows the term FAQ, frequently mm-hmm. asked questions. Sure. So I have created a new acronym in sales called FEFs, FEFs, and it stands for Frequently Expressed Fears. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what happens is if you are a salesperson and you are encountering an objection or a frequently expressed fear, What I find, Rob, is a lot of salespeople, when they encounter an objection or a fear, immediately default to defending and justifying their position. (laughs) So, hey, this is what I'm concerned about, says the customer. And the salesperson says, oh, that's okay. You don't need to worry about that because this is what we do and this is how we do it and this is whatever. Where to me, this is the golden opportunity to tell a story. So if someone expresses a fear or an objection, First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask them a question of why they actually have that fear or objection. Mm-hmm. And then after they answer that question, I'm going to say, well, you know, we've recently worked with someone who had that exact same concern. And let me tell you how we approach that problem. And I call it the PSR method. And so basically, you have to, to a good story, especially a client story, what was the problem? What was the solution you put in place? And what was the result it generated? And in that PSR, the solution has to be tangible. It can't be, and we, we fix the problem. Like, that's not the solution. And the result has to be measurable, like something I can grab onto. So what are your thoughts on that PSR method? I agree. I agree with you 100%. Uh, with one caveat. Okay. I do not, I always recommend people, don't talk about yourself. Because many people want to say, when they tell the story, they want themselves or their company or their product to be the hero. Tell me the story about how your client achieved something. Let me envision that client in my head because the person you're talking to is looking for themselves in, your, in, their, in the story you're telling. And if I tell a story about a guy that reminds you of Mark Altman and you see how that person overcame their challenge and achieved their, their goal, and by the way, the reason they achieved it is because they had the product or service that I'm pitching. The glow should be on the champion of the story, and it shouldn't be the product. So, would you? Le- so, does that mean? Just so I understand, does that mean you'd leave the solution part out because the solution reflects on you personally? How would you? How would you adapt that? It's there. There's three levels. There's is. There's does. There's means. People tend to lean into by nature is and does. I know what my product is. I know what it does. I would prefer that they would lean into what it means and what it does. So if, uh, if you're selling me a washing machine, uh, so if you're selling me a washing machine, it's a situation where I want to talk about, hey, you know, I was able, after I've got, I've got a kid, I've got a 15-year-old boy, and you know, he might come in muddy and messed up, and I might need to wash his uniform for the next day so he can play in another game. I want to hear about, he came in, this is how muddy it was, this is the situation. 
Um, I washed it. It came out great. By the way, you're selling me detergent. But I'm hearing the story about how I overcame that so challenge. So give us a story. Tell us an example. Give us an example of, as if a story you would tell that supports the methodology. Okay. So let's um, so let's use that exact that exact story I just kind of started with about. So I've got a, um, a detergent salesman coming in, and they're trying to pitch me on. Or do you want well, to do no, something no. higher? No, no. I'll set you up. I'll tee you up oh, better. Give, give okay, me some. So I'll tee you up. So you're trying to sell me, um, you know, public speaking training for my company. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I'm raise, so I'm going to raise an objection. Okay. I'm going to be like, you know, Rob, I, you know, I got to be honest with you. I mean, to think that you, I could work with you for two days, and all of a sudden I'm going to be a better, I'm going to become more memorable or compelling. I'm just a little skeptical to tell you the truth. So go. I was working uh, with a software company, very similar to you. Okay. And they had a challenge: is that they had one advantage over their competitors. And that was their bulletproof implementation process on their solution. So one of their one of their salespeople, instead of outlining this is what we do here, this is what we do here, what we do here, he had need to magnify the importance of that to make sure that his clients realize how important that was. So this gentleman's name was David. He got to the end of his presentation and he said, "When I was 17, I was learning how to fly a plane." And it was in a very small airport, and it was a very single-plane, single-engine Piper Cub. And about 100 yards off the end of the runway, there were trees that grew up really quickly. It was about 100-foot pine trees. And one thing they taught us was that we had to, in our pre-flight check, make sure that we weighed the plane so that we would have enough horsepower to get over those trees. And one day, when I wasn't there, I heard that a plane had taken off and had clipped their landing gear no one was injured. Two minutes. They had to come down, and they had to land uh, quickly, and they couldn't make their run. And I talked to my flight instructor. I said, what happened? He said, well, they were too heavy. He goes, yeah, I know that, but didn't they weigh the plane during their pre-flight check? He goes, yeah, but they were carrying Christmas trees. Excuse me? Why would that matter? Well, what they didn't know is that when Christmas trees have to go a certain distance, they're watered before they go. And then he turned to the room, and he said, do you really want to be a plane full of Christmas trees? And everyone in that room suddenly started thinking about what if something goes wrong and we're not ready for it. And it elevated that story and changed the way that they sold. So let me tell you what I heard there and to make sure I capture what you were saying properly. Is the key there is um, you're pointing out the, uh, the challenge, the, the problem that was identified in that story. You didn't need to say you fixed it, you trained them, you coached them. It was more, hey, here's the problem they encountered. Here's the awareness that kind of came out of the problem. Um, is that the key? Is like not necessarily to say, well, here's what we did to fix it. It's more of, hey, here's here's what happened, and here's the awareness they had. Is that? Yeah, it's it's giving them walking them through something where they can see the benefit and they can see themselves in that problem. That's the key. The identification of them into the story. Okay, so, okay, that's interesting. So, all right, well, when we come back from our from our halfway point, Rob, one of the things I want to ask you about related to storytelling is length and duration, right? <laughs> because this is the big thing. Um, you know, people, again, have such a short attention span. So I'd like to talk about some best practices related to, well, how do I know if I'm going on too long? Or what's, what's the guide to length and duration? You got it. Um, and then we can also talk about the memorization aspect of storytelling as well. All right, so for Rob Matson, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break.
now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. If you'd like to call in the show, it's 508-871-7000. 508-871-7000. So, um, you know, Rob and I would love to chat with you. And Rob, you know, you and I are big fans of the phrase elephant in the room. So let's address <laughs> a couple of elephants right here. So people, when I, when I use the phrase gap fillers, the likes and the ahs and things like that, <laughs> you know, a lot of times people use those because they don't know what they want to say next and they're trying to buy time to think about what they want to say next and so on and so forth. But the issue to me here is how do I know when my story's too long? And, and, more, and a second part to your, my question is, and before I even open my mouth, what would be a guideline that I could give or like, okay... That's it. Enough. Let someone else talk. Let someone respond to what you're saying, so on and so forth. Uh, great question. And there I just use a vocal filler. So it's one of those situations where when you talk about building a story, there's story creation and there's storytelling. The ah uh, problem is something that I deal with in the second half of a class I teach where we teach about how do you build the proper story and then how do you tell it? And there's a lot of little tricks there. But building a story, if you know the structure, and the structure is easy. It's used in a bedtime story to a Hollywood blockbuster. It's called the three-act structure. Intro, conflict, resolution. So the intro, you set your stage. So if you think about the original Star Wars, you met Luke and Leah, you learned about the Empire and the Rebellion, and that all happened. That was the intro. You, you met the characters, you learned the situation. Then you have the conflict. That's the meat of the story, and that's really the action of what goes on. In the case of most business conversations, it's the persuasion. And then at the end is the resolution. How do you tie it all together? And the key that I teach people, that in Hollywood, it's intro, persuasion, resolution. But for people like you and me who are trying to drive a point home, it's intrigue because you have to prove to them you're worth listening to because, oddly enough, they didn't pay 15 bucks to see your movie. So you have to prove that you're worthy of their attention, then your persuasion, how you're going to get them to change their thinking. And then at the end, it's resolution, but it's also recall. How are you leaving them with something that they're going to remember? And that could be a visual, it could be a turn of phrase, it could be something, but something that is really important. So if you think in that structure, how am I opening? What's the meaning of my, my uh, information and how am I going to close it? You're okay. I've dealt with many very successful executives and they are ramble fests. They go off on tangents, and you just have to be aware of your structure. Well, that, but that's that's what I want to question you on, because the structure you promoted, I love, and it makes all the sense in the world, but I still think, like, even when you were telling your story, Rob, to me in the last segment, mm -hmm. I consider you an incredibly engaging speaker, but I felt there was almost a few seconds too long when you were telling me that story. My attention started to wander. So I'm wondering... If you do the intrigue, persuasion, recall method, mm -hmm. like to me, some, like, and uh, listen, I don't know what the right answer is beyond someone should be able to do that in 30 seconds to a minute. Like, I don't think it takes longer than that to do that. Do you? It depends on your story. The, the worst thing you can do is try to say, here's the time I'm going to use unless you're forced into it. Know what your story is. And the key is to give enough changes now, one of the challenges in the story I told you is I, I had to do a preamble because I had to introduce the character of Dave telling the character of Dave, and that made it longer than it was. Uh, I love that story. It's a real story told by someone in my class. I've used it a bunch of times. It is pretty effective, but the key is 
know what the gist is and edit yourself. The trouble with most people is they don't want to give up parts of their story. Get rid of the stuff that's not adding value. And the key is, is practice your stories. And that doesn't mean practice on the way to your call or looking in the mirror right before you do it. If you're going to tell a story in a room, stand up like you're in the room. Yeah, except I got to tell you something about that. You're absolutely right. It's the way to go. But this is the funny thing to me about practice in general, not even storytelling, Mm -hmm. just practice. Practicing any core competency or skill you want to improve on, right? My thought process is if I'm your client and you're teaching me these things and I'm practicing how do I know if I'm doing a good job? Because I'm sitting there by myself, so I don't even know if I've improved. This is the funny thing to me about practice. So, as Alan Iverson once said, <laughs> and so, so my whole thing about practice, and I'd love to pick your brain about this, is I always encourage people to have an accountability partner in practice. I don't care; it could be your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. I don't care because Rob, if you if you wanted to practice storytelling, and you went home and said to your your girlfriend. Hey, I want to practice my storytelling. And she might be have she might not have the foggiest idea how to evaluate your story. Tell her. Tell her. I'm gonna tell you a story, and these are the things I want you to be listening for that I've been taught to evaluate my story. But when you practice by yourself, I think it's very hard for people to evaluate if they're getting better until they're in front of people again. What yes. are your thoughts on that? Oh, we need another two hours yeah. to talk through this. Uh, the great thing about storytelling is you're right. There are multiple levels of reflection that you can get. And the good news is today, I think everyone that's listening to this show has a phone that can record them. Record yourself. As painful as it is to listen to yourself <laughs> or to watch yourself, do it. Because you will watch it and you go, yeah, okay, I, that could be better. That could be better. And the thing is, Practice is not necessarily about improving. It's about building your confidence and your repeatability. If you are saying, okay, I've got to get this right, and you learn the gist of it, I'm not saying memorize a script, but no, I'm going to talk about this here, this here, this here, and this here. And then you get out in front of people and you get that feedback, whether that's from a significant other, an insignificant other, or a, <laughs> you know, a client, uh, someone like that. And then you're going to, you're going to improve because this is a long road. And I have changed stories that I tell because I'm like, oh, that kind of worked. That kind of didn't. And sometimes I'm confident in my story. Um, I also, I've written plays. I've written 58 plays. I've got 19 of them published. And I'll see one of my plays produced, and they're all comedies. And and, uh, well, just to finish the thought, and I will see a joke not work with one audience, but it will crush the next two nights. It's like, right joke, wrong audience. So there's always a balance between confidence in your material and the response you're getting and then massaging that combination without losing your confidence. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think when you talk about recording yourself, I think I think it's it's great. And I think there's an additional layer too. If you record yourself, don't just listen arbitrarily and go, yeah, okay, I think that was a little bit better. You know, I think that was good. Pull out your five-minute checklist that you were taught to evaluate and look at it as you're listening to see if you actually check the boxes of what you were practicing for. Yeah, I mean, this is goal-driven storytelling. It is. This is not just to connect, though you should get that as well. You're trying to change the mind. I tell people, um, one one opener I, I often drive people towards is a metaphorical story if they're trying to change someone's thinking because you're trying to take them out of the world they're in. I tell people, if you're trying to convince me 
to change how I do uh, things in my auto assembly line, don't tell me a story about an auto assembly line because I'll start thinking about all the details of my world. And I'll say, oh, we couldn't do that in, in my auto assembly line. We do this, that, and the other. But instead, tell me a story about a bakery that illustrates that high-level message so I can't start putting negativity into that and I am just absorbing that high-level message. And then when you get to your persuasion part, then you can use examples of this is how client, a client of mine did this. And let me tell you how Ralph DeBartlow um, has changed his auto assembly line. And then we can use that. Well, and I want to cover, before we go to our next break, I want to cover one last concept, uh, another, the, the other elephant in the room, which is memorizing stories. <laughs> oh, my God, there's so much to remember. And, Rob, a very quick example I always use is I often work with um, – People, you know, looking to change careers or new jobs or job seekers and such. So one of the one of the activities I have them do is build their passion story. Like, why do you love to do what you do? Like, where does that come from? And so I help them with the passion story. But here's the thing about the passion story: they'll 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 write down all their passion story, and then they're like, "How am I going to remember all this?" I'm like, "It's your story. Like, what is there to remember? It's your life. Like, you're not going to forget your life." So so I guess what I'm asking you is. You know, certainly there's some tips about, you know, we're not writing long sentences and doing keywords and things like that. But what I'm asking you is, what's your, if, if you were to give two pieces of advice of people who put that pressure on to memorize and stories and, and that's practice, memorization equals practice. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what, what's best practices in this regard? The funny thing is I, I work with a lot of people and it's like, well, I'm going to write a script. Don't write a script. Scripts are for actors. I've been an actor since I was 15 years old. I know how to read a script and I know how to make it seem more or less. You might, some people might argue with my performance that it seems like I am saying it for the first time. But people who don't read scripts and are not actors and try to read a script, they sound very artificial and stilted. It takes a lot of time to develop that skill. Write your outline and your structure. Own your gist. So in the beginning, if we're going to take a look at this story I told about, about Dave in the plane, I'm going to set up it. I'm going to talk about describing the airport and the physical location. That's my beginning. Then I've got to tell a story about the plane, the plane taking off with the um, the plane taking off and hitting its um, its landing gear. And then at the end, it's the resolution is all about the Christmas trees. Okay, those are my three areas. I know that and work on those sections. Make it simple. All right, perfect. All right, well, so we're going to continue our last segment. We have one other compelling topic around motivation and influence regarding storytelling. For Rob Matson, I'm Mark Altman. This is I Communicate. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. All right, welcome back to I Communicate. And Ted, you know, before we finish this last segment, can we, can we just call out the quality of guests that are on I Communicate? It's it's really difficult to communicate the level of what is it? It's like a, a think tank you've got going. Well, here. that's you know what? So it's so funny. We talk about memorable and takeaways. If someone referred to this show, if that was their takeaway, that it was a think tank, I'd be fired up about that. That's exactly what I would want them to say. Do you want my PayPal address? I do. I do. All right. So last segment. And boy, talk about something we could do an entire show on. 
This is one of the under-recognized uses of storytelling. And we're talking about motivation and influence related to managing up and managing down in the workplace. And we're talking about when you, ha- when you are trying to get alignment with your team or with your subordinates or when you're managing up, how do you motivate and influence someone to do something that they're not doing, right? And so what I want to share with our audience is, before I ask you, Rob, there are four things I ask people to consider when you're prepared to motivate and influence someone, when you're considering your method, your story, your whatever. Number one is, the first question you have to ask yourself, and I call this, at Mindset Go Rob, we do a lot on conversation intelligence, and so this is pre conversation prep. This is the pre-conversation work, right? First thing is, why should they care? Before you even open your mouth, why should the person care? You want to capture their attention, why should they care? Second, why is it urgent? Why should there, with the hundred things they have going on over the course of the day, why should this become the top of their stack of papers on their desk? Three, what are they going to say when you tell them why they should care and why it's urgent? What's their response and rebuttal going to be for it, right? And then fourth, how are you going to respond to that? So to me, and there's more, but that's kind of like a cursory four, Rob, that to me goes as a starting point for motivation influence. Now, if you apply that and take the storytelling piece into it, when they're telling that story of why they should care, why it's urgent, what do they need to take into consideration? Well, this, uh, there's a guide that I have. It's three simple words, okay. and this is the key to storytelling. And those three words are selfish, lazy, and smug. I'm not saying you should be low, <laughs> selfish, lazy, and Thank smug. Thank you for clarifying that. You have to assume that per- people listening to you are, to some extent, all three. They are selfish. They want something out of the conversation. The people that are on this radio show, or they're listening to it, they're not here because they like me. They don't even know me. They're here because they want to learn something. So they should be a little bit selfish and good for them. They want their, People are lazy. They don't want to do a lot of math if they don't have to. So many times I see professionals put a slide up with a, a table full of numbers and only one number is important on that table. Why are you showing me all the other ones? Don't make me do the math. You're there to guide me. A story is like a whitewater raft, rafting trip. If you have a good guide, it's fun. If you don't, you're dead. And finally, smug. You have to prove to people that you have invested to learn what they find interesting or important. And that goes to what you were just talking about, Mark. You have to make them feel like you have done the homework and you know what's important to them because you were thinking from their point of view. And that's the key. And I think to your point of uh, talking, storytelling up and down, all three of those things work well. If I am an executive and I'm talking to a group of, uh, a group of people, I want to make sure that I view it as I understand how this affects you. I understand, I want you to understand what you're going to get out of it. And if I am talking up, and I've done this many times, I used to be the king of showing how the sausage was made. I wanted to show my chief financial officer when I was trying to get money for a project, all of the work I did to figure out why it was going to be cost effective and help us. And this guy, his name was Don Fitch, and he was a brilliant, brilliant man. And he looked at me and goes, I don't care. I know you did all the work. Show me the highlights. So uh, the most important thing to Don was not wasting his time. It reminds and- me of my math teacher when he, he made me show <laughs> all the work. 
And when you get to be a business person, it's the exact opposite. What are you going to do? Yeah, right. So it, go ahead. No, finish. Finish yeah. your thought. So, and that's the thing, because if you're talking down, you know that from a position of authority, what you're going to do is going to affect these people, and they're probably going to have to deal with it. So you want to show them the empathy that you have seen how it's going to affect them and try to prove to them that even if it's tough, that you've thought through and made it the least tough or show them the greatest benefits. If you're working up, you want to show them, hey, listen, I am taking care of this. And I am going to show, not waste your valuable, valuable time and just show you exactly what you need to know to make the, the, uh, make the decision or help give me the yes or no. And if you want the extra information, I got it. But you don't have to worry about it because I've got it covered. So, Rob, a couple of points. Um, one, I want to paraphrase uh, back what I heard for our listeners to make sure I captured it and for properly. Selfish to me means... Um, the, your audience, you're almost assuming the worst of your audience, which is good to me, right? Because you're prepared when you assume the worst. So selfish means make them care. Make them understand how it will impact them, the organization, the team, whatever. Spot on. Lazy means I don't want to critically think. I've got 100 things going on. I've got too much to do. Just get to the point and tell me what I need to know and why I need to know it. Don't waste their time. Exactly. Right? Okay. And then smug is, and this is a huge point, is you've got to establish credibility, that you've done your due diligence, that mm-hmm. you've done the research, that you've done, and uh, and that's what you mean by smug. Is right on the money, all okay. three. So listen, listen, here's the thing. This is a key takeaway from what Rob's talking about, and that is, you know, he, Rob's smart enough to know he's giving you this selfish, lazy, smug. It's so memorable. Here we are. We're, we're back to memorable and compelling again. So you're going to get off the show today and you might say to yourself, right, I just need to remember that people may be selfish, lazy, and smug. Well, you, that, that could stick with you. Mm-hmm. Where if he highlights a three-step process that everybody's vomiting everywhere about how to get better, you may not remember that. You're going to probably remember selfish, lazy, and smug. And that's the key. Are you doing something that, and there's a lot of science behind how the brain works and the primacy and recency effect and, and the dip in the middle where people forget things and how you have to keep on changing your pace and your tone and all that. You're trying to shock people just a little bit. Yeah. Not badly, but just give them something that changes and that's based upon how the mind works. Your amygdala, the lower part of your brain, is actually looking for things to evaluate. And by giving changes of pace, whether that's vocally, whether that's pausing, it helps out for people to remember. Two minutes. Okay, and, and so Rob, to, to reinforce that, one other comment, and then I want to just introduce a final concept in the final minute of the show. You know, selfish, lazy, and smug, I think such a good part of motivating and influence. It goes back to where we started today, knowing your audience, right? So we're talking about preparation and understanding and knowing the tendencies and the likely behaviors of your audience is such a huge aspect of knowing your audience. Knowing, and guess what? If your audience isn't selfish, lazy, and smug, no, nothing nothing lost. You were just extra prepared, which is never a bad thing. So I think that's a key point. And I want to add with a, with a concept today uh, that so builds on what we're talking about. It's the email subject line, okay? <laughs> so we're all getting inundated with God knows how many emails every day. And then people wonder why you don't get responses and when you get ghosted and ignored. Well, guess what? Your email subject lines should be compelling and memorable because if you have any chance of someone noticing it or the first two sentences of your email should be compelling and memorable or both. So, you know, like I've used Rob before, and I just want to get a final thought from you on this before we wrap. Like I'll use 
if someone's ghosted me three times, my subject line back maybe on the third or fourth time will be, should I bother? Like that's what I'll put in the subject line. People are likely to open up an email that says, should I bother? Okay, we're getting the question. What are your quick thoughts on email subject line? Um, you're right. It's absolutely intrigue, persuasion, recall, call to action, all that type of stuff. And the one thing that I would recommend to anyone who's telling a story, be, okay. uh, be authentic. Share with people who you are. Use all the skills. Use all the talents. Use all the techniques. But be yourself and share something of you because that will connect you with others. Rob Matson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thrilled to have you. You're welcome back anytime. My pleasure. Great all right. Here. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.